Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 215. Thanks. Seriously. Thanks. Recorded. What did you do, Seth? I've been doing stuff like that for months. I know, and I change it every time, but you know, (laughs) I'm already flustered. You're making it worse. (laughs) Recorded November 22nd. <laughs> can't do it. I can't make that transition. It's it's because it's going from words to numbers. I can't do it. Uh, oh, that was awesome. Long night. It's like doing a mental chin up as I'm doing it. It's, <laughs> recorded November twenty second, twenty fifteen, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. Elementopie.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Linux Show. That's not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockroach. And joining me this week, as always, are your two stalwart co-hosts, Chris, the Command Line Godfather Neves, and Seth, the Gooey Kid Anderson. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Mark, and everyone out there in, in the internet land. I hope you had a great week. And I would like to voice my howdy duties to everyone as well. All right, and as the title in implies, uh, this week is the Thanksgiving week uh, here in the U.S. Uh, as this is being released, I am probably brining a turkey, <laughs> getting ready to to cook it. Uh, Thanksgiving in the U.S. is nominally the day that we, that we give thanks to the deity of our choice for the blessings in our lives, but really it's all about the food. Uh, but definitely it was a good opportunity to say thank you to our audience those of you listening as i say so many times you are literally the reason we do this and thanks for listening seriously thanks yep <laughs> so seth you are now a wheeler dealer big wig on the stock market right Woo-hoo. yes i am my trade went through and it's promptly down like two percent from when i bought it <laughs> but since i bought it for dividends i'm holding fast and gonna rake in that killer interest rate on my 66 shares of stock Woo-hoo. i can't Ooh. i can't remember who to attribute the quote to but it, it goes something like the the way to make a small fortune in stocks is to start with a large fortune that sounds about yeah, right well you know that's the thing i mean the stock is down but because i'm not selling it i really haven't lost anything the loss only materializes if i go to sell but since i bought it for the dividends i as long as they keep paying dividends and they could cut their dividend in half and it would still be over six times what i make in my savings account so yeah which isn't much i mean that would be like six times what you make in your um savings account would be uh one (laughs) percent no no i get 0.95 i got one of those high interest high yes yeah internet only savings accounts that must be ally so chris you're going through something that i went through very recently and that is the first of the formal dances yes my son is a freshman so he has started his formal dance career at least as for high school time goes uh he just uh, as of what the day before recording um he was walking down the aisle with a lovely lady all dressed up so fun times all right god i'm getting old so uh, did, did he have a woman-type person with him? He did have a woman-type person with him. Um, it was not his girlfriend because he doesn't have a girlfriend yet, uh, thankfully. They were just a bunch of friends that all wanted to go. So right. uh, it works out great that way. As I refer to my, my daughter's guy person, he's the friend boy. He's a friend, he's a friend. who happens to be a boy. He is not a friend boy. <laughs> Although yes. there is trouble in those waters, I hear recently. 
the friend boy may in fact no longer be the friend boy. Uh oh. The FFB, yes. the former friend boy. Yes. There you uh, go. The the dramas of uh, middle school American. Um, I just wanted to comment on something that we've talked about just as recently as the last episode. The, this idea of uh, you know capitalism and, and and profit and and seeking the lowest price for the best thing. Um, recently, just out of because I thought I wanted the experience. Um, I went to the Alibaba.com website, which is essentially um, Amazon for Chinese manufacturers, and I was looking for some some swag that I could give out to the the Element OP audience. Just you know, not not a big thing. I didn't want to spend a lot of money on it, right? Um, and uh, I'm not going to tell you what they are in, in case I decide to get them. But I, I went through you know sort of a it's this weird sort of interview process where it's 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 really it's it's an RFP request for proposal. You put out bids, but it is kind of turned on its head because they have a an initial quote already on the website, and then you use that as your starting base. And I'm learning about, uh, you know, uh, different forms of verification, uh, you know, free trade certified and things like that and, and different types of uh, payments and, and, uh, how you can accept something, uh, you know, uh, you accept ownership of it when it leaves their dock. So you own it the whole time it's on the ship or you say you don't own it until the time it gets to your dock. There's, there's all kinds of neat things like that. And so I, I just wanted to dip into, you know, spend a hundred bucks on some, you know, uh, widget made by Chinese slave girls. Um, and and just, you know, see how that whole thing went. But what happened was I got totally caught up in, in the things that we were talking about. This manufacturer was making it for 95 cents a piece. And this manufacturer was making it for 75 cents a piece. Over here, wait, wait, they said they could do it for 40 cents a piece. And this, that what I'm talking about is something that I would typically expect to pay 3 to $5 for in the U.S., uh, and people who are buying these are buying them in bulk in the thousands uh, for, you know, 50 cents a piece and then selling them for five dollars. Um, so the uh, the what I, it was just amazing how I was getting so caught up in that thing at this competitive bidding process. This this one here is 85 cents per unit, but their minimum order is 500. And this one over here, I can I can get it down to 75 percent uh, a unit, but the minimum order uh, seven cents per unit. The minimum order is a thousand. So that's 750. dollars I don't want 750. dollars So all right. So what if I spend 250? What can I get? Well, when I back that down, and I find my, found myself completely forgetting. That they're, that this is a livelihood of somebody on the other end. And I'm, I'm act- actively negotiating with these people. Uh, Shenzhen, China is roughly 12 hours, uh, difference from us. So my 10 PM is their 10 AM. So I could actually interact with these people live. Um, and I'm haggling over literally pennies per unit. The difference between a hundred dollar order and a hundred and ten dollar order. Meanwhile, this person I'm talking to, is trying to feed a family, not only their family, but the family of all their employees. And I'm haggling over 10 bucks. And it made me realize that, you know, this, these things that we decry so often are so easy to get sucked into without, without, you know, without any malice of it. I, it's not that I didn't like these people or anything like that, but my greedy capitalist, as Seth would call it, uh, mindset kicked in. And then I started just arguing with these people over the simplest thing. It's like refusing to give a waitress a tip because she didn't refill your tea all the way to the top. You know, these petty things that people do. Um, and I just, I just thought it was interesting that, that I found myself after sitting behind this microphone and pontificating so many times, I sucked it. I found myself sucked into the exact same mindset. It's interesting how easy it is to slip into that, isn't it? 
Yeah, it's very easy. You don't realize that I, you don't realize because you're so caught up in that moment that you don't, it's like you didn't, you say, I would never do what I just finished exactly. doing. Oh my gosh. Yep. So, and, and it's kind of spooky. And then I was like, well, okay, now I've got this, I've got this manufacturer. I've checked out all the credentials and I'm speaking to somebody who obviously doesn't speak English as a primary language. Um, and, and so there's, there's a little bit of a, a barrier there. So it's like, okay, I think, I think I'm pretty sure about what about, um, print screening? Can I get like the element OP logo on it? All right. So I threw that out there. Is that a service you offer? Sure. We can do that. I found that all, every Chinese manufacturer will agree to everything. Yes, really? whatever that whatever the answer is. Yes, we can do that, um, because they're they're trying to to strive for the pennies out there. Um, but it was like so this seventy five cent per unit thing is now a dollar ninety five cent per unit because I want one line of text on it. Um, wow, well, dang, no, uh, that's not going to happen. <laughs> Uh, so it's just, it's, it's been fascinating to me and it's a good experience. I'm glad I'm doing it. And, and I, I don't know, I may totally get ripped off. I may send these people a couple hundred bucks and get nothing, but that was the cost of going to school in this case. So we'll see what happened. I just wanted to see what it was like dealing directly with a Chinese manufacturer, because that is, you know, the world has, has outsourced their manufacturing to China. Um, yeah, pretty much. And if you want something made, you know, all these uh, Kickstarter programs that are doing it, they're all going straight to Shenzhen and, and having something made there. Your iPhone, your Android phone comes out of a, a manufacturing shop in Shenzhen, most likely. My watch, I know definitely did. It shipped from there. So uh, anyway, just a, crazy. A, just a neat sort of thing to think about. It is. Um, yeah, I'll be interested to see to hear of what, what it, what end up happening, you know, to see at the end product when it's all done. Well, yeah. And speaking of Kickstarter woes, we have a story about that later on in the newscast. Oh, if wow. it doesn't yep. get cut, it's almost like I had planned this. No, I didn't. <gasps> uh, so, Chris, you spoke a while back about the fact that it was time to redo your firewall. Um, yep. how, how is that thing going? How how is the the network retool going around Casa de Chris? It actually went pretty good. Um, it was a little more forced than I was anticipating. Um, I didn't get the, I haven't wired every room like I wanted to, uh, when I originally moved in and wanted to, you know, had illusions of grandeur. Um, but I did find out that my lovely PF sense firewall decided to go on me and I had to rebuild everything from scratch. So two access points and, and a new, uh, new hard drive in the, the, beige box now i have a lovely uh open sense router instead of a pf sense router um it's it, it was an interesting changeover to go from one because they're basically it's a fork of pf sense so i do a lot of the tools already uh just had to find all the new buttons to click because it's a little bit different so uh What's what's different about it? What are the significances significances of OpenSense versus uh, PFSense? I assume that they're uh, based on the same product project. They're based on the same project. Uh, one is using a BSD base, and one is using um, oh, what's the other one? I don't remember off the top of my head now. Uh, but the, it's just basically the under the underpinnings is a little bit different. One's running, um, like I said, one's running. I just blanked everything let's see <laughs> is it just a different fork of bsd yeah one's, one's well one's bsd and then one's running under uh 
a, a different form of, of Unix. So okay. they're, 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 it's just a different tree is basically all it is. Uh, but the GUI is a whole lot. It's a little easier to manipulate. It's a little more, it's a little more uh, laid out, more common sense. Like, but, but you're the uh, command line godfather. You're not supposed to care about that. I'm not. <laughs> well, not really. But when you're when you're doing something as a one time off thing and you don't want to have to touch it again, uh, who cares? Uh, <laughs> but some of this, like the uh, the thing that definitely made me look this way versus PF sets again was the way they have their services laid out. It's a little bit easier to configure the squid proxy and a little bit easier to do the intrusion detection. Um, stuff like that was a lot easier to do with OpenSense than it was for PFSense to do. Uh, and it's just a way that it, you know, put it all in a nice pretty box for me to type in. Uh, it just made more sense to me, so far at least. Um, haven't seen any difference in performance, so that's nothing changed there, but it's definitely an interesting... It, it, a very interesting experiment. So uh, if it continues to stay open sense, I'll keep running it. But if I have to go back to PF sense, I'm going to go back. But right now, open sense is doing a pretty good job. All right. Well, let's move straight th- from there into some listener feedback. Black Veils, that's what he goes by, uh, says he hates both Firefox and ads. Okay. Huh. says, I've always used an ad blocker because I have a genuine difficulty focusing when something is blinking at me on a page. Over the years, I allowed adverts for websites I frequently visit and like if I respect what they do, but I draw the line at blinking items. So, uh, so I have to block those unless I can consistently um, uh, avoid the distraction. Says I use Firefox, but not for casual reasons. I eventually got sick of the bloated performance of web pages. Uh, I thought getting a new computer would help. It did not. So frustrating, frustratingly, I had to eventually block all ads and junk everywhere with uBlock and FlashBlock just to get some sort of decent page loading. I block all those share buttons too. I'll only allow ads if it does not cause a major slowdown. I think Firefox is a big part of the slow page load problem. And yes, I've cleaned my profile, etc. It did not help. I don't know anyone how anyone could use Firefox for casual reasons when the performance is terrible. Well, Black Veils, I don't have that experience at all. Firefox is my primary browser, both on Windows and Linux, and uh, I don't have any performance issues at all. So I, I, I'm not saying that your experience isn't valid. I'm just saying I don't share it. Yeah, I don't either. Um, I personally just gave up my Chrome addiction and going back to running Firefox exclusively uh, just to see if I jump ship too early and so far uh, I find Firefox a lot better of a browser than Chrome ever was. As long as I keep it clean, you know, the less plugins and add-ons and themes that you use, that seems like that helps Firefox a lot. When you start loading it up with all those extra add-ons, it seems that's when it starts puking on you. Yeah. That's what I was going to mention is what plugins are you using with your Firefox, you know, um, download helper seems to cause a lot of performance issues. Uh, some theme you or some plugin you got and you forgot you had it in there could very well be the cause. So go in and see, um, what happens after you totally remove that plugin. Sometimes just disabling it doesn't take its hooks out of Firefox. Yeah, the only block uh, uh, plugins that I use on a regular bl- basis are the ad blocker of the day, whether it's uBlock Origin or um, uh, the one that I just switched from that I'm totally blanking on, uh, AdBlock Plus, um, and LastPass. That those are the things that I run. I keep. I don't 
it's not that I don't like uh, uh, plugins. I just find that I generally don't need them. Uh, so those are the things that I, I do have a YouTube downloader when I need to download uh, my own stuff primarily. I, you know, uh, every show we, we do goes up to YouTube. And if everything crashes here, uh, I use that as my third level backup because the audio is generally not as good. Uh, and so I, I have the, a YouTube video downloader, but I keep it disabled except when I need it. Um, and that's it for me, and and everything runs really smoothly. On Chrome, uh, I do sort of the same thing, uBlock Origin, uh, LastPass, and then usually a Chromecast uh, plug-in. So I, maybe my experience is different for yours because I keep it pretty stock. Yeah, I think I just looked. I just pulled mine up, and I have five plugins: uh, uBlock Origin and uh, LastPass, StumbleUpon, Foxy Scrubber, and PushBullet. Those are the only ones I have plugged in. Everything else is turned off or removed, especially in the plugins tab. Um, I have a lot of that stuff marked as uh, asked to activate on almost everything. Yeah, and if you run a, uh, a hardware firewall um, or even something like OpenDNS, you can set the ad blocking at that level and take it out of the browser. So uh, ads are blocked at my entry point so that my machines don't have to do it. That that you know, there's a lot of those. Um, we talked, I talked earlier about open um, open sense and PF sense. Those are in there. Those options are there in that router firmware. So if you wanted to use it to block it on the gateway level, um, that would be an easy way to do it. I think uh, doesn't Tomato and w- DDWRT have those options in there too. DDWRT certainly does. I'm not sure about Tomato. Um, I do it through OpenDNS, but I, because I, as I've said many times before, I'm not totally anti-ads. I keep it very minimal. Uh, we I block flash ads because there's no reason for them. Uh, I block known malicious ads. Most other ads I let through. Uh, and, and it's until they prove to me that I can't live with them, that I block them. Like, you know, you, uh, Black Veils, you're talking about the blinking things. Uh, that's never going to happen with a Google AdWords ad. Google uh, took that stand years ago. So I pretty much let most Google ads through. I block most Facebook ads for the, the same reason. They tend to be much more egregious. See, when I, when I was setting up my uBlock, um, the only thing I have turned on for uBlock is the malicious blocking. So... You know, I, I remember before I was saying I never run an ad blocker. Well, I ended up having to because of the malicious stuff. Um, I was doing some research and it just was becoming a nightmare. Uh, but yeah, the uBlock Origins, man, that, that works pretty good once you have it turned on and tuned. All right, moving on. Isaac likes honey. Honey pots, anyway. He says, hey, guys, I was wanting suggestions for a honeypot server for cybersecurity systems. Uh, I'm very much into CLI, so if it's CLI-heavy command line interface, that's awesome. Also, Nano is what I use as a text editor for when in a terminal because it makes sense. All due respect, Isaac. Uh, Isaac, I have only run honeypots in the context of mail servers, and that was a decade ago. So I'm going to have to ask these guys if they have any ideas because I got nothing. Uh, there's quite a few honeypots. Go ahead, Seth. Yeah, I was going to direct you to honeynet.org. So uh, you can get, there's a honeypot bundle Linux distro based on um, Xbuntu, and you can kind of download and play with that some. It's HoneyDrive, right? That's the one that, they, that they're that they selling. Yes, or, or they use HoneyDrive. Yep. Um, that's the command line, or not really, it's, it's as command line as it can be, but um, 
you know, the honeypots anymore, there really isn't any honeypot level for the, you know, the consumer grade. They're all big iron or big metals that you need to have to run the honeypot systems anymore. And they're Because they'll be few. DDoSed if you're running it on your own software pretty quickly. Yeah, pretty quick. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. I wouldn't. I would definitely recommend not running Honeypot if you're running com, uh, residential type networks. Um, instead, run something with Snort, you know, as an intrusion detection, because then you're you're getting something similar, but uh, you're you know you're still taking care of that that issue, but without being DDoSed into oblivion. Yeah, and whatever you do, make sure it's a VM. That way, you can easily reset it. Yep. You know, and you don't have yeah, to go through backups or whatever. So, and yeah, if you're in a, depending, I don't know, if you're somewhere that has Google Fiber, you know, maybe you can get away with running a few honeypots on your system. But like in my house, I really couldn't do that. So, even if you have fiber, I wouldn't recommend it. Back in the days when I was a mail admin, I had a couple of honeypot addresses that existed specifically for the purpose of flagging spammers. It was an address that was only listed on a web page, never actually used. So if somebody got that and sent mail to it, I knew they scraped the web page and I immediately blocked that uh, URL or domain or sender or whatever. Um, but in terms of setting up a system out there and just waiting for it, all you got to do is throw Windows 98 on the Internet and you've got a honeypot. Um, you know, set that up in a VM and uh, just watch and you're good. Just make sure you have it blocked from going into your network. Yes. It's in a honeypot. Then it's a gateway and a, a big door. <laughs> and moving on, Fuzzy says, thanks. Hey, guys, I don't remember if I ever thanked you for your mention of Obitalk service. It's a, it's wonderful. It really saves my dad the effort of having to remember how to use a cell phone. He's got memory problems. I gave him his old phone with an Obi, and he's just fine. Thanks a ton. Fuzzy. Um, yeah, Obi High, the, the little device that you can buy for 50 or 100 bucks, uh, depending on what model you get. Plug it into a Google Talk account, uh, uh, not Google Voice account, rather, and boom, done. I've been using that now for three years as my primary home phone. That, that's that's not true that's it's my prime it's my home phone it's not my primary phone um but we use it for everything it's the kid's primary phone and it works great and it was like a hundred dollars one time done over with you can plug a fax machine cool. into it anything you want to do uh and for for a while there it looked like they weren't going to support google anymore now they're a preferred google uh provider so some 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 backs got rubbed in there somewhere so check it out obi uh, talk. Oh, just just do a search. I think OBI is all you're going to need. Uh, search that and you'll find you can buy them at uh, elementopi.com slash Amazon um, and uh, depending on what you need. So if you want a fax machine or an, ans- an old style answering machine, which you really don't need anymore once you got uh, a Google Voice account. So, uh, you know, somebody calls my home number and leaves a message. I get it sent to me in an email because it's a Google Voice account. And so wherever I am, I can check the voicemail. So check it out. Google Voice is a great service. It's definitely one to, if you're not using it, you need to. Yeah, And I'll, I'll be happy to pay for it if they ever require that, but so far they haven't. Yeah. It used to be Grand Central, then Google brought, bought Grand Central. Uh, Russ says that, I, that I'm an ageist. Says, hi, Mark. Did you really say that 78-year-olds would not know uh, about different hard drive speeds? The ageist brigade will be after you. 
I don't happen to be a 78-year-old, but if I was, I would be upset. As a listener from the UK, I really enjoy your podcast. It gives me insights into U.S. culture. If you change the name, please don't change the format. Russ, age 77. So he just missed my cutoff. (laughs) Yeah, watch out, Russ. Next year, terrible things, man. Now, I believe I I haven't gone back and replayed the show, but I'm pretty sure I was talking about in the context of Seth's specifically 78-year-old dad. Um, and I may have made some generalization that uh, your typical 78-year-old isn't going to know the difference between a 5400 and a 7200 RPM, and I stand by that. I didn't, Russ, you are the exception that then proves the rule. Definitely. Um, and I know a lot of kid, you know, younger ones that would not know the difference unless you actually pointed it out. Well, they wouldn't know what RPM means, so, you know. Well, true. <laughs> And, and I, you know, I don't want to say that I uh, indicate that I'm denigrating Seth's dad. Seth's dad's a really smart guy. He just never cared anything about computers. And you have to care about computers to get into the difference between interleave speeds and all that stuff. Yeah, he, he was like a teletype repairman. So he retired from communications and everything uh, before computers were really big. So like the granddaddies of computers and the granddaddy of the interwebs uh, is what he helped build out and keep running. And when he retired, he had no interest in sticking with it. That part of his life was over. He was done. Yep. And and I, you know, a lot of people are like that and I certainly can't uh, blame him. I, I have a feeling when I retire, that will be the end of whatever it is I'm doing because that's what retiring means. I bought him a uh, Kindle fire tablet um, at a pawn shop. And uh, so I showed him, uh, you know, I signed in with one of my many email addresses and uh, I showed him how to get the free books because that email address had never does had no credit card ever associated with it. So he wouldn't be able to buy something if he tried. And uh, and he went to town. I mean, he just he didn't even have to get up and go into the computer. He could just he could just kind of recline back in his, you know, automatic reclining chair and just sit there for days reading his books. So. And that doesn't uh, really apply to anything, but <laughs> but you got that love of books too, because you your idea of a of a good weekend is a stack of books. Yes, yeah. nothing wrong with that. I I didn't say there was. It's just not me. Um, <laughs> what do you say we do an ad? Because everybody likes ads, so let's talk about DigitalOcean.com, where you can set up your own virtual machine running in the cloud. If you have a project and it's a little more than you can handle with virtual uh, with shared hosting, and it's not something you want to host on your own server, virtual hosting is the way to go. Uh, DigitalOcean.com runs everything on KVM, which is as close to bare metal performance as you can get in a in a hypervisor or in a virtualizer. Um, all their cloud servers are built on super powerful machines running the fastest RAM and and the fastest SSD storage, so much so that you can spin up a new machine in less than a minute. Yes, I said that. Less than a minute. Less than a minute from the time you click, hey, I want a machine running Fedora with a LAMP stack and Drupal. Can I do that? Yes, you can. Wait 40 seconds, sir. Boom, it's done. That's how fast they are. And and they literally have these one-click installs. The the most common things that you're going to do on the web, they already have there. You want a WordPress blog, but you don't know where to start? Click the WordPress button and now you've got a server set up waiting for you to change the master password and log in. That is cool. And uh, everything has a, a terabyte, uh, excuse me, a gigabyte, not terabyte, a gigabyte internet access. Uh, virtual uh, private networking is available if you just want to to uh, deal with things, uh, you know, in your own little virtual network. IPv6 support is there. Um, nobody's using it, but hey, it's there. Um, all this stuff for 
for pocket change, just slightly more than you would pay for uh, shared hosting. And in fact, in some cases, it's not slightly more at all. Uh, so shared host, uh, their prices start at $5 a month. So for $5 a month, you can get a uh, single core server uh, running half a gig of RAM, uh, 20 gig uh, hard drive, and you get a terabyte, a terabyte of, of transfer for five bucks a month. That's a lot of WordPress hits. Um, yeah. If you need something a little more, jump up to the $10 a month plan. You get a gig of RAM, a uh, single core processor, 30 gigs of, of uh, SSD space, and two terabytes of transfer. Now, I, I, I've told the story earlier. When I was first playing with them, I loaded up one of the $10 a month ones, um, and I uh, loaded a uh, Fedora box, I believe it was, and uh, it was just a basic server command line only. And just out of curiosity... I said uh, RPM dash install. I don't, can't even remember the commands. I'm not an RPM guy. Uh, uh, Gnome dash desktop. How okay. long do you think it would take to download the 10,000 plus files that it would take to install the Gnome desktop? It took less than five minutes. That's impressive. Yeah. Um, you try, try doing that on your own home sometime, no matter how good your internet access is, uh, that's going to take some time because there's tons of packages there. Um, and it was done in less than five minutes and I was, and they have this amazing, uh, uh, GUI console. Seth, even you, uh, would be happy with that. You log into a web page and you get a GUI console into your machine so you can run all the GUI tools if you want to do that. Uh, so it's, it's great not only for, uh, you know, servers, but also for development desktops. But if you sign up now and use the code Everyday Linux when you sign up, you don't have to pay even $5 a month. You get $10 worth of free credit. So if you do the $5 thing, you get two months of free service. Play with this thing, hammer on it, test on it for two, two months. If you don't like it, walk away, as, as uh, Rex would say in, uh, um, ah, just blanked on the movie. Break the risk and, and walk away. Um, so, but if you, you know, you want to step up a little bit, you can use the $10 one. You get one month of uptime for, for nothing. If you don't like it, you walk away. If you do like it, you feed them a credit card and now you've got a high quality service and you can see, you can, they have data centers all over the country, all over the world, and you can pick where you want it. So if you want one on the East Coast, they've got one. You want one on the West Coast, they've got one. You want one in Singapore because your clients are there, you can get one close to there. It's pretty amazing what you can, and you can move them from place to place as you need to. Uh, really, it's just amazing software for a very low price. DigitalOcean.com, use the code EverydayLinux when you sign up to let them know that you heard about it here. Now, Definitely. moving on to some news, Anonymous versus ISIS. I don't know who to root for. <laughs> yeah, That's there a was a... There were several stories here, and um, I don't really know. I don't know where to go with it either. But um, ah, so the first one is, uh, and I found this on BGR. BGR has been a big news uh, repository for me lately. Um, Anonymous declares war on ISIS. They um, Anonymous from all over the world will hunt you down. This is from the article. We will launch the biggest operation ever against you, a masked person said in the hacker's video. Expect massive cyber attacks. War is declared. Get prepared. And in response, a Telegram channel that is believed to be affiliated with ISIS hackers sent out a warning message in Arabic and English telling others how to thwart the anonymous hacks um, and, you know, basically asking what are they going to hack so far? The only thing they've done is hit some ISIS Twitter account. So, you know, do you go for the hackers or do you go for the, um, do you go for the religious extremist terrorists? Um, and they say that they've uncovered plans uh, for attacks uh, on up to eight other cities. Uh, but how trustworthy is anonymous? I don't know. Yeah. 
it's a tough call either way. Uh, I know personally, I would, I, I, I like to, you know, hope on the idea that they're going to be that, you know, anonymous is going to be there, you know, cause they're supposedly the watchdogs of the internet is what they, they claim to be. Um, I hope they stay that way and they don't go down the wrong road, but, you know, so far, good for you, Anonymous. Keep going. I mean, it's it's such a yeah. – what I find fascinating is there's a Fortune.com article about that uh, dated uh, today. When Fortune is talking about Anonymous versus ISIS, uh, that's that's kind of a surreal sort of thing there. Um, right? It's a little weird at the mo- – you know, at the top. Yeah. And if the the what's interesting, uh, sitting back and looking at this from a detached point of view, uh, it's fascinating to look at how one um, uh, asynchronous, distributed, uh, loosely confederated group of people are going to attack another asynchronous, distributed, loosely confederated group of people. How would you attack anonymous if you want to? You couldn't because they're all over the web. How do you attack ISIS if you want to? For the same reason. Um, so these people, you know, who've, who've got their, you know, low, low orbit ion cannon, uh, and their ability to, to destroy websites, there aren't any ISIS websites or there aren't many, you know, there's not, there's not a, uh, an ISIS headquarters, uh, in, you know, downtown Tel Aviv or whatever, where, where you can attack a server. They are splinter cells. They're, they're distributed by, by definition. So it, it, it's interesting just, uh, in the, the sense of watching to see what happens. How, how does, how does the gorillas fight gorillas? Yeah, well, and that one was one of the things. Um, some of the people wonder if they aren't doing more harm than good because there's other groups that like monitor the those uh, those Twitter accounts and the other things ISIS are going after kind of clandestinely. It's like we are in there and they don't know we're in there, so we can see what they do. Um, and sometimes it's you know you get like this the uh, State Department having a Twitter fight with an ISIS account and you know, so I don't know if they do, they do good, but are they also harming the attacks or the defense against it? And another thing, will it take something like anonymous, a non nation based group to overcome a non nation based group? Although you could argue that ISIS, um, is they're at least a proto-state because you know they have land they have army they levy taxes so technically that makes them a nation um and they 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 own large chunks of at least two countries so yeah, it's yeah. it's not it's not uh, far off to say that they are uh legitimate well legitimate is a difficult word to de- define but but de facto governments of a couple of countries but is it fair to say that they are the islamic state uh, that's what Yahoo calls them in their article, anonymous versus the Islamic State. Um, I don't know that that's a fair characterization either. Well, that's ISIS is the Islamic State. So, but there but are other. Really. Well, that's what they're trying to be. Right. You know, they're all, you know, you have Al Qaeda and um, whatever some of the other ones are, but ISIS is actually, you know, they're trying to establish the caliphate there in the Middle East and grow and expand from there. So. But so, but what's interesting is another. It's one of those uh, uh, who who leads anonymous. You, nobody uh-huh. knows, and if somebody stood up, somebody else would argue with them. It's it's the same thing with ISIS. You, yes, they want to be the Islamic State, but there's a there are other enough pieces of Islam that nobody's ever going to have the the um, the official mantle of Islamic State. 
Um, and you know, and I, I don't, I want to be careful that we don't paint all people who believe a certain thing, uh, with the same paintbrush as these people, because Islam is, is more than just ISIS and ISIS is more than just Islam. Right. right. And well, and that to me, from what I saw of these articles, they were specifically, um, uh, talking about ISIS and not Islam in general. Right. So. Yeah, it's just it's it's one of those because a, a lot of people, when you think of of anonymous, they're thinking of you know uh, Gen Xers and millennials, primarily millennials, uh, and you tend to think of disaffected uh, American or at least European uh, uh, Western culture youth, but that that may not be fair to say that's what anonymous is either because. They're anonymous. We just make assumptions about them. So you know, right. it's, it's fascinating. It's two, it's like watching two amoebas fight each other. How do you know when they win? Right. Yeah. It'll be, it's, it's going to be, it's interesting to see the story to, as it unfolds. Um, I really want to, I'm rooting for anonymous personally because I kind of fall behind some of their, their thoughts that I've been, you know, reading. But am I going to stand up and say I'm part of them? No. Because I'm not. <laughs> I don't have the technical skills to be part of Anonymous. <laughs> right. I couldn't too. pass their interest exam, entrance exam. <laughs> oh. All right. So uh, moving on, according to The Verge, teens don't know the difference between real content and ad content. Uh, that could either be a slam on teens or a kudos to ad makers. Well, um, it was carried out earlier this year. They were shown screenshots of Google search results for the term trainers and asked whether the results at the top of the page were either A, ads, B, the most relevant results, or C, the most popular results. And even though the topmost search results were outlined in an orange box and labeled with the word ad, they were only recognized as such by basically 31% of 12 to 15-year-olds and 16% of 8 to 11. So it's like you're handed this thing with the thing saying, this is an ad. And then they're asked, is this an ad? So other tests showed that based 19% of 12 to 15 year olds. So what is that? Seven, eight, ninth middle schoolers believe that if a search engine listed particular information, then it must be true. While just under half, 46% could say that Google was funded by ads. So this is kind of, it's kind of a scary thought, um, but hopefully it's something they will grow out of as they develop their frontal lobes. Um, but, you know, you have people, you know, they would look at people who watch television and say, oh, you can't believe the news that's on television. They have an agenda. But then they go over here and pull from the exact same sources and say, oh, but this is true because I saw it on, you know, Google or Reddit or whatever. Um, it was just an interesting state. And again, you know, who knows, hopefully in a few years they realize and they get that internet savvy. Um, but it's just kind of, um, it's kind of a chilling thought to think that, you know, and of course we've talked before how this generation is going to the dogs and every generation has said that about the one that follows. Newsflash. Kids are gullible. Film at 11. Um, this, this is a story that doesn't say anything we didn't already know. Yeah, but it documented it with actual numbers. I, I attended a seminar a while back on brain development 
Yeah, yeah, I'm a geek. Um, and what was fascinating about that is, is you know, you over time we've mapped the parts of the brain that develop, right? So early on, language centers develop, uh, balance and, and motor neuron, uh, motor uh, skills centers develop, and later on, the last part of the brain to develop is the judgment centers, uh, largely because it takes all those other things feeding together uh, to to make the judgment centers. But in the average, um, uh brain of of uh an, of a i i don't i don't even want to qualify it in the average brain that they uh um examined the judgment centers are not considered quote fully developed until 24 years of age that's, um, that's normal that's right. a normal comment that there's that's nothing unusual about that but when you expect a 15 year old to exercise good judgment in fact just as recently as today I criticized my 13-year-old for not exercising good judgment and had to stop and remind myself she can't. She's not capable of exercising good judgment. Her brain is not it's it's like you would you would uh uh, uh yell at a, a a paraplegic for not running the the 5k. It's not something that she's capable of doing right now, but they look like adults. They're the same sizes. They act like adults. And it's hard to, for, to, to remember that the, these college kids, right? These kids who are doing the mil, million student march right now, begging for everything for free and people are, uh, slamming them for, for not being, you know, uh, not thinking things through. They can't think things through. They're just now learning to think things through. It's the 45 year old in line with them that you need to yell at. There you go. Yeah. And, and you know that's a hard one to do to remember because you know as as we think back we don't see the prob- you know the the thoughts that we had at that age as ever being broken because we didn't or, know the difference right exactly uh, we thought they were good judgment because we didn't know what good judgment was and besides so, we're smarter it, than the average person <laughs> so everybody thinks they're smarter than the average person right yeah whatever average is your IQ is a few points above it across the board yep um so yeah this is interesting to me and it just goes to show that um parents who think that their child um you know has got it all together they don't uh i i recently watched with my children actually the oldest two i didn't with the youngest one a uh i can't even remember where it was but it was a video that that a guy had done with with the parents permission they set up three kids uh through a facebook an anonymous uh not anonymous but it was a it was a facebook profile of an of an unknown uh girl it was three guys um and the the profile was only a couple of days old. All the things that you would look for to see if this is something you should watch out for. Uh, and these kids had the, their parents had told them. I have told them about you know don't don't talk to strangers. That the whole thing you know don't don't uh, trust people on the internet. We've had this discussion. My kid has it. All three of those kids either got into a car or a house of somebody that they didn't know, someplace they'd never been with a grown up, thinking everything was okay. Wow. Um, and in two yeah. of the three, they they like threw a bag over the kids' heads and and uh, kidnapped them. And the third one, uh, two big burly guys came out and pretended they were going to rape them. Um, and then mom oh. or dad stepped out around the corner and said, "You see what happens?" So wow. if you think your kids uh, are are on top of it, they are not. You think they're trustworthy? They are not. Makes me want to yeah. retry a couple of things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, this, these. This big they hairy guy walks out and says, "Hi, I'm Samantha," and starts unbuttoning his pants. Um, and this 13 year old boy is panicking as he should be. And then mom steps around the corner and says, "Look at what you just did." 
uh, terrifying, and I hope the kid learns the lesson. But rea- in reality, probably not. Probably not able to take away the proper lesson from that experience. Mama but it's a good thing me. for us adults to see that type of reaction yes. because then we realize, oh, we're not quite. Yeah. Yeah. When somebody accuses me of being overprotective, I consider that a compliment. Thank you. Thank you for calling me overprotective. The world will rob my children of their innocence soon enough. I don't have to help. That's right. Right. All right. Moving on. Yahoo wants to kill ad blockers. Well, of course, their business is ads. Yes, this was a, this was another one from The Verge. Um, it came up on a forum post, that, and this actually happened to me. Um, I went there, and it was like, um, you can't see your mail. Please turn off your ad blocker. And so their spokesman at Yahoo, we are continually developing and testing new product experiences. This is a test we're running for a small number of mail users. And basically, it sucks, Yahoo. Um, <laughs> and uh, so the, the thing here is lots of sites do this, but typically it's not some critical service like email but then again maybe email is not all that critical in today's world so yep i mean and this happened to me too and when i found this story i wanted to share my experience all right so i'm right now logging into my 18 year old yahoo mail account uh running uBlock origin nope and i got right in so i'm not well nope nope i got in and then it stopped um let's see what happens if i do it I'm doing the same thing. Of course, I have. I think it's been probably ten years since I've actually used the account for anything other than just a spam login. Yeah, I give that address to websites that I expect are going to spam me. Yep, the one-off sites like Microsoft. <laughs> <laughs> my my Xbox Live account goes there um, for that reason. Um, no, all right, I walked right through it, no problem. Right on the inbox, I can. Set up an email, compose. Well, but like I said, special. I only have mind blocking malicious servers. Well, there, yeah. Are you seeing ads? Nope. Okay. So they're, but I don't know if that's my contributor kicking in there or if that's uBlock. Right. What's your number on uBlock? I've already closed it. I don't know. Oh. So I, I wasn't willing to put that much into it, but this is this is just. The and I, actually, I'm totally okay with this. This is fine for me. When sites do that, when sites say, "Look, we have a social contract here. You want to view my stuff? You view my ads too." I'm fine with that. Then I get to make the choice: Do I load the page and the ads, or do I walk away? Um, that I, you know, I know people expected me to go off on this, but I think this is the right way to do it. Frankly, well, and it gives you the option too. It, right. You know, you have you, it puts it on you then to go back and say, "Well, do I need this service? Is this something I actually need every day?" Yeah. So, so uh, Rick in the in the chat room says that he got in with AdBlocker Plus running. So, but they did say it's a, a limited uh, release, and they're probably going to turn it off pretty quickly. Uh, but i i think I think this is inevitable, and I think it's appropriate. Um, you know, frankly, especially. If- Go ahead. Chris. I was gonna say, especially if they're giving people enough notice, you know, if they're just gonna one day just slam the doors down, no notice, then I would have a problem with it because I like, I just I live by notice. You have to tell me, right. hey, in thirty days we're gonna start shutting your doors down, you know, shutting the, shutting your email off if you're gonna block if you're using ad blockers. But see, there wasn't a notice. This is in response to it happening, right? So it's you go there and you get this. 
hey, turn off your turn off your ad blocker to use this. So there wasn't there wasn't notice beforehand. That's that's where I would have the issue with. Not that they're doing it, but the notice, the lack of notice is where I would have the issue first. And, and you know, I think if the technology allowed people to uh, stop streaming television to anybody who DVR'd it, they would do that. Right. Or, uh, you know, like, like Hulu. One of the things about Hulu is you can't skip an ad. Not possible. Can't do it. Even if you pay for it, you still got to watch the ad. Oh, no. Nope. Um, there's there's no, a way around They have it an ad free option now. Yep. They have uh, well, an ad free option for $3 more. Right. Okay. Um, and worth every penny. In the ad version, <laughs> you, you have to you have to watch the ads. I, I think that. Uh, that if people and and in fact I know that there was a, a lawsuit uh, by CBS I think uh, against the Hopper uh, uh, Dish Network's device uh, specifically about the ad blocking because the Hopper has a has auto skip like um, I, I think they had to take it out uh, this is a few years old but it was like while recording um, the show it just wouldn't record the ads so you didn't have to skip over them while you were watching it back. And I'm pretty sure that that dish lost that battle and had to leave it in there. But any remote with a 30 second skip button is, we all know that's the jump over the ad button. Right. Um, and you know, that's just the way it is. The media, most media, uh, television, radio, newspapers, magazines is ad supported. That's the contract. Some third party, it's called the third party payer system. A third party, digitalocean.com. Um, put up money so that you could listen to Everyday Linux. You're not paying for it. I'm not charging you for it, but DigitalOcean is paying for it. Um, you know, Pepsi is is uh, uh, paying for you to watch the football game. You're getting yep. it for free, but not really for free. You're getting it in exchange for the ads. That's the deal. I, it, it doesn't bother me that uh, people say, hey, you're breaking your end of the deal. You don't get the content. Yeah, I just wanted to tell people it was happening. Yeah. Good Looking stuff. for content. <laughs> um, another thing, Linux Mint, Linux Mint sucks. IT World says so. Yeah, that's Who put a, this the, in there? That was not me. That was me. I put that one in there. Did, did you guys actually read the article? Or did yeah. you just... It's kind of a funny article when you read it because he's like, Linux Mint sucks, but no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> He was he were, was expecting to to be yeah. spending hours chasing down things, and then yeah. in forty five minutes he found out that everything was working and fine. And yeah, this is Linux awful. When suck. I install Linux on a desktop, I'm expecting to be able to waste a solid eight hours chasing down random issues that were solved on other modern desktop systems by two thousand eight. I went into this hoping and wishing to have to crawl through LinuxQuestions.org threads from two thousand six to figure out why plugging in a second monitor doesn't work with X.org. And it did. Oops. It all worked just fine. <laughs> I loved it. I thought it was a great, yeah. a great one because uh, that's one of those feel-good articles that you, re- you know, when you read it, just makes you laugh. Yeah, most uh, most Linux today just works. Yep, with a few exceptions. Um, and maybe if you want to learn how to deal with those few exceptions, our friends over at the Linux Academy can help you out. Uh, maybe not. Maybe, maybe they're not going to tell you how to deal with, uh, the print cap file, but what they will teach you how to do is how to be a certifiable 
Well, that doesn't sound good. How to be prepared to be certified uh, as a Linux administrator. They do this, by the way, their step-by-step video courses. There are hundreds of them now. I've been saying for a while, over 200. Well, since I put in my notes over 200, they've added some 1,100. There are hundreds and hundreds of step-by-step videos, each one of them with a corresponding uh, PDF study guide so that you, can, that you can read as you watch. They've got their amazing lab infrastructure that really, in my opinion, is the killer app of their service where you, you can run up to four machines simultaneously pick from eight different distros uh, they're all in a safe environment uh, they have the uh, the lesson plan generator where, where you tell them how much time you have to spend and when you have that time and they will keep you on track with your learning it's a custom syllabus for the college cho- uh, uh, course of your choice uh, it's really uh, it's really pretty amazing what you can get uh, and and beyond that, you know, there's there's the quizzes, the the integration with the people who are going to offer you the certifications, and it's so much more than just Linux now. It's AWS, it's Ruby on Linux, it's it's there's just so much more than just Linux at the Linux Academy. At so there's there's a smorgasbord of stuff at you know a bargain basement price. Twenty nine dollars a month is their highest price. Twenty their, their highest price is lower than most people's lowest price. Twenty nine dollars a month if you just buy month to month. But if you buy three months at a time, uh, we call that a quarter in the biz. It's only sixty nine dollars. So there's you know a ten dollar discount right off the top there. Uh, well, let's see, twenty dollars. Uh, I can't do math. Um, and then uh, t- uh, if you buy annually, it's two hundred twenty nine dollars a month, which you know breaks down to just under uh, nineteen uh, eighteen dollars a month. So you know it's it's almost half, not quite almost half. Again, math, not easy. Um, it, it's really hard to do math and do language stuff side by side. If I'm just doing math, I can do it. But I'm reading and I'm talking and I'm trying to do math. Not so good at that. Uh, but $18 a month is if you buy a year. But don't go buy a year. I'm telling you right now, don't do that. Don't go buy a year. Go buy a month and check it out. And after the month, make the decision. Um, but you know, the, all you have to, to wait to lose is the cost of a gourmet pizza. Uh, you can spend, if you have a girlfriend, you're already spending $29 a month, uh, regularly. So, uh, and, and the way to spend this to your girlfriend is honey, let me spend this $29 so I can make more money in the future to spend more money on you. Yeah, so that's how you. Good work. That's how you spend it with them. Yeah, it's an investment in your future. It literally is. I get email uh, from people saying, "I started on my new career with Linux Academy thanks to you." That is amazing. I love getting those emails because you know Mike, who used to be a butcher, now works in IT, and he credits Linux Academy for at least part of that experience. Uh, that's amazing. He's no longer he's Mike the former butcher now. Now he's Mike the IT guy, largely or at least partly because of LinuxAcademy.com. But if you use the code Everyday Linux when you sign up, the $29 a month, the $69 a quarter, and the $229 a year, that's all bogus. You won't pay that much. You get a special rate. I'm not going to tell you what it is, it's but go secret. to linuxacademy.com slash Linux or use the code Everyday Linux when you sign up, and you will pay a special rate. Thank you, Linux Academy, for sponsoring us for some three years now. Cool oh, wow. stuff. Spit three hours oh, wow. with them now. Yeah. I always forget how long they've been with that we've been with them until you bring that up and it's like wow three years. Thank you, Linux Academy. Thank you. It's worth every penny. All right. So iPads are good for efficiency. They they can really automate tasks, including um, making you screw up. Uh, a, a record shows the, uh, uh, that that uh, a study shows that iPads help pilots make errors more efficiently and faster. 
Sweet. Yes. Um, this was a, it's kind of a funny story. And, um, on August the 1st of last year, a Boeing 737 operated by Qantas performed a tail strike. And it's basically when the plane goes to take off, it doesn't quite have enough power and the back of the plane kind of hits the runway a little bit. And the Australian Transportation Safety Bureau de- concluded that the strike was caused because the co-pilot, when trying to figure out how much power was needed, inputted the weight wrong in the iPad. So it, you know, don't, the iPad wasn't integrated in the system. They were basically using the calculator function and he put in the wrong number. So then he got a power setting that was too low. And so it was still enough to take off, but it kind of scraped the paint on the back of the plane that they found out when they landed. So, you know, it could have been anything. It, this just happened to be an iPad. And I thought it was funny because apparently among other things, iPads help you screw up faster too. That sounds about right. Yeah, and and to give the guy some credit, um, he was doing numbers like uh, seventy six thousand four hundred kilograms, uh, and he typed in sixty six thousand four hundred. You can't expect the guy to do that kind of math in his head and fly a plane. Uh, right. So. <laughs> oh come on, come on now, and, flying planes are easy. I thought. Yeah, it's one of those things where because the weights are always different when planes are taking off because of how much cargo they have and everything, it's not like wait a minute, this number seems low, you know, I'm sure if he would have put in like, instead of 76,000, 7,600, he probably would have noticed, but you know, the amount of thrust required for the extra five or 10,000 kilograms probably is just going to be, oh, we must have a light flight this time or something. It's, uh, I'm not just this week weekend i saw one of those things i've seen it several times before floating around where uh pilot uh gripe lists and the air crew's response to it and one of the items was auto land feature really rough on this plane and the response was auto land feature not available on this plane um um, when it was uh something something uh being really loud and the response was told that something to keep it down Uh, and that was actually, it's credited to Qantas Airlines. So, um, if it's the one I'm thinking of. All right. So, uh, next up, uh, TrueCrypt actually does encrypt. Surprise, surprise. Yes. Um, TrueCrypt was, I guess it's been over a year now that it was in the news when the developers just up and quit. Um, but it's a tool still used by millions of privacy and security enthusiasts, and it is safer than some studies have suggested, according to a second comprehensive security analysis conducted by the Froffenhaufer Institute for Secure Information Technologies. Um, they did uncover a few vulnerabilities but the vulnerabilities would not affect something that you, a whole disk that you encrypted. They would only affect if you tried to uh, encrypt an active volume, which TrueCrypt was never designed for. It was just something that was being used. Um, so the analysis, which was performed under contract with Germany's Federal Office for Security and Information Technology, it basically echoes conclusions reached before that you know, TrueCrypt's still pretty stable. So while there, you know, there's been several people who forked it and they're trying to develop it up, but it's still safe. If you're going to encrypt a hard drive and then, you know, why, and then that hard drive is not powered on, then you, it's still pretty secure. And, and the, uh, the name that you mangled there, the Fraunhofer Institute is the people that brought us the MP3. So, uh, these guys have been doing tech for a while. Yeah. 
It's good to know that that true crib is still is still worth its salt. Um, then there really isn't anything else that that is you know a good replacement for it. As well, far all as the successors to it that exist are forks of it. Um, right. It is the standard, and there's a reason it's that good. And uh, you know the true crib guys kind of threw up. A, I'm going to take my dolly and go home moment, and decided they didn't want to work on it anymore. Uh, but the code is still out there, and it's still good, and it's being audited and has been audited, and it's still so. Don't be afraid of it. Uh, just use it well. Yeah, use it as it was intended, not some of the other things they found it also worked at. Right, and then it's still it's still rock solid. And Mark, I can barely speak English decently, uh, much, <laughs> much less try to pronounce a foreign language name. In this case, it was German, but it could have easily yeah. been Spanish or, you know, East, Eastern U.S. people. So, I, a quick I, digression here, just because I have the microphone and you can't stop me. Um, the uh, the MP3, the the real genius of the MP3 Krodak that the, that the Fraunhofer Institute came up with was they uh, they figured out... Uh, based on a set of sounds, what the human ear could actually hear. And they did this by, uh, by modeling in detail the human ear. Actually had, uh, like mannequin skulls with, with ears and mics on it. And, uh, say for example, I'm, uh, I'm in this room doing this podcast and I'm talking to you. And at the same moment I'm talking, uh, the, uh, smoke alarm upstairs goes off and starts blaring really loudly. But because I'm stubborn, I continue to talk. You, the listener, all you will hear is the smoke alarm because it's really loud, but I'm still talking. What the Fraunhofer Institute did was they figured out in music, there are things like that that's there that it's strings being plucked and horns being played, but you can't actually hear them. And so they figured out how to programmatically take those out. And that's how you can take a, uh, a 640 megabyte CD and cram it down to, you know, uh, 30 or 40 megabytes worth of MP3s without a significant loss in quality. Because the things that you're throwing away, you couldn't hear anyway. People have been arguing with that ever since then, saying, well, I can hear the difference. Um, th- they're wrong. Can. You know, uh, the, 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 uh, the, it's the same vinyl versus digital thing. You know, vinyl has more bandwidth. It can carry more information. That's absolutely true. It can also carry so much information that the human ear can't hear it and the human brain can't process it. So that was the brilliance of the MP3. And, and we've gone worse now. We've crunked that down to 128 or 112 or even 96 kilobit, uh, MP3s, which do throw away information that you can hear. But we've got a whole generation now who've grown up on music that's good enough. We don't yep. care that it's not perfect. We care that we can put a thousand phones uh, on our uh, arm as we go running, you know, and uh, that's a big deal. The, the original iPod, their sales things was a thousand songs in your pocket. Um, and so the world cared more about convenience than quality. Surprise, surprise, as the world will always do. Yep. <laughs> what else can we say about it? That's the truth about MP3. Now, I will say, though, that there are some ears that can hear some differences but they can't usually point out exact differences i you know i've i actually completely and totally disagree with that there are some brains who think that their ears can hear more but there is no science to back it up there there's never been a confirmed study of that other than some guy saying i can hear the difference no they have actually um there have been studies done on this where if you have the equipment to play the other sounds a significant number above what you would expect from just random people guessing which one was better. The 
the one with the bigger, fuller, richer sound, people, a significant portion could tell the difference. And right, but I they can't, can't tell you what they're hearing. They'll tell you that it sounds different or that it yep. sounds better. But most people think louder is better, right? And so if you've got this this uh, full range set of speaker systems, you're getting a higher volume even at a lower intensity because there's more sound there. So people will equate louder with better. Well, that's... I understand what you're saying, but they went through and they kind of did the double blind study. They played both on yep. the inferior equipment and then they played both on the, um, ex, ex, whatever that good word is on the superior equipment. And whenever they played them both on the superior equipment, people could tell a difference in sound. When they played them both on the inferior equipment, it was like, it was fit just probability of people guessing 50 50 so whenever the equipment is there there is a noticeable difference that can be heard but then you're talking immense amount of equipment you know the the average joe schmo is not going to have the equipment needed to do this nor would they have the sense the sensitive ears to do it anyway Right, and I've I've read those studies that you're talking about, uh, Seth, or probably the same ones that you've read, and and the the science there is iffy, right? It's uh, because you're con- it, there's a whole whole different set of things. This inferior equipment you're talking about, we're not just talking about frequency response, but we're talking about uh, the ability to make uh, the room reverberate and the sound bounce off the the floors and the walls, and those are things that are more natural, and we expect those sort of things. Um, so yes, it gives a more real, but that doesn't necessarily make it better. Um, my I tend to fall down on the side of the numbers. The numbers show that for you know a, an incredibly high percentage of the people, there is no ability to notice the difference. But in a certain you know when you put people in these scientific experiments, at least the, the studies that I read, there was so much subjectiveness it put in there that uh, it's it's just really difficult to to call it good science. Right, which is why I I'm not going to go back and most... look up the study, but <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe you know something, maybe you know a study I don't. Uh, but here's what we do know: Syria, surprise, surprise, doesn't like open source. Yeah, getting this back on track, uh, Syria secretly sentenced free software developer Basil. I, I'm not even going to try his last name to death, and then Larry Lessig, who. If you follow computing in America, you probably have heard of him. Uh, He says, for most in the free software and free culture movements, the worst that ever happens is the sneer from a copyright lawyer. But in the Middle East, the fight for freedom is uh, generic. To stand for the right to create and share freely is to risk the most extreme response. Uh, And this man is now suffering the most extreme response. He has been imprisoned by Syria's, um, in Syria's, and again, Adria, A-D-R-A prison since 2012, but in October, he was transferred to an undisclosed location, um, and his wife, who is a human rights lawyer, reports that he's been secretly sentenced to death by a military tribunal. So this is, you know, free software and, you know, free as in speech software. Sometimes the cost is more than just somebody saying, but I want to get paid. So sometimes there's real costs involved, and it's good to... uh just keep that in mind. When when you live in a country where f- speech isn't free and you consider software speech, so- free software isn't free. And, right, yeah. um, you know, uh, Mr. Cartabill is, is going to pay the highest price possible for freedom. Uh, thus, remembering the old adage, freedom 
isn't free. Ever. Um, what else can you say about it? Yeah, so well, there's two a, ways you can look at this. You can say this is the software's fault, or you can say this is the oppressive regime's fault. And depending on which side you fall on, you're going to pick your side there. Uh, I, I, I'm going to say that this is uh, the government of Syria uh, showing us why we don't want the way they run their government to spread. Yeah. That's why there we are. I'm that's getting all right wing political on you there. <laughs> so, what else can you really say about it, though? Um, I, I'm tired of reading these stories, but I got to do it. I, a brand new form of cryptoware has been launched. It, it, it's probably yeah. not fair to call it new. It's a spawn. It's a spinoff of something already existing. Yes, um, this strand of cryptoware is dubbed the Linux Encoder One ransomware, and it was designed to attack um, the specific company's um, e-commerce platform. And the the thing is, um, they fixed this back in 2014. But of course, you know, people are never going to update their e-commerce sites because they don't want to take them offline to do them. Um, so, and it's not really something, even though Linux is in the name, it doesn't attacks the, attack the Linux OS. It attacks the software that runs on the Linux OS in much the same way that Adobe vulnerabilities attack Adobe on Windows. They don't necessarily attack Windows. Um, but there's, and so people would get, you know, their, their e-commerce site was, hacked and then this was installed and so they pay the ransomware which was one bitcoin which was about three hundred dollars at the time of this story but the script that would um de uh de-encrypt their files would put useless junk in there making it useless but luckily there was a vulnerability in it it uses the time has the uh hash or um the has the seed, yeah, the salt to set the password. And luckily that information, that metadata is stored default by Linux. So people are able to go in and decrypt it using the time that the file was altered. So there was a way out and you know, you could you do some command line weirdness um that Chris could probably tell you all about to uh fix it. But this is one of those where, you know, there's cryptoware. Um in one sense you know, I hate stuff like this, but in another sense, if you're using stuff that hasn't been patched in over a year and this is your business, you would think you would want your business to be secure. Um, I understand not installing stuff the day of, but sometime within a year, you know, maybe you should have done it. And luckily there was a, there was a fix. Um, uh, Steve Gibson talked about this on, uh, 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 security now a couple of weeks ago, I think. And, and essentially it was lazy coders, uh, were taken down by lazy bad guys who <laughs> were thwarted by hardworking good guys. Uh, so, um, it's all, <laughs> what can you say? When you just drop in something into your server without, without knowing what it is, you are trusting those people and yep. the Magento people proved to be not trustworthy, not because they were malicious, but because they were lazy. And then the sysadmins who dropped Magento straight into their uh, corporate infrastructure without checking on it were equally lazy. And then the bad guys who wrote the code were even more lazy because they didn't come up with random salt. And so in the end, you can get it all back. Um, and it's just, uh, you know, sanitize your inputs, people. Check your code. That's the moral of the story. Check your yep. code. Garbage in, garbage out. But again, you can't blame the Magento people because they fixed this problem over a year ago. 
Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, software has errors. All software has errors because it's made by people. And believe it or not, people aren't perfect, despite what the people may think. Uh, so, yeah, they had a problem. They fixed it, but people didn't bother to update it. And and maybe Magento didn't uh, take as much uh, care as they could have to to notify or force people to update. But again, that's on that's on you, right? If your little update thing is jumping up and down in the corner and you choose to ignore it, that's on you. Yep. Yeah, that's the way it works. All right. Uh poor Jala. Hala. It's it's just they they were on the ropes and then they were back and now they're on the ropes again. Yeah. Um I, I don't think I'm gonna get my tablet. You know, um, but the mobile company founded in Finland today announced, and this is uh, from an article from OS News, um, that its latest financing round, which was aimed at the end of November, has been postponed and the company needs to adjust its operations accordingly. At the same time, the company has filed for a debt restructuring program in Finland to ensure the continuity of its business and it will temporarily lay off a big part of its personnel. Basically, it just, you know, if you've ever seen something circling a, uh, a drain and it just it it makes those concentric circles and each one gets a little bit closer it's a little bit closer and it's about to go down and i've lost i've lost my i think i don't remember if this one was kickstarter or indiegogo but dadgummit i went and bought this i was gonna get behind them and i was gonna do the whole tablet experience and you know no they're dead to me I well, they're just dead, <laughs> not just to you, yeah, to me they're and everyone else now. in the world. So, um, you know, once you start throwing deck chairs off the Titanic, it's pretty much over at that yep. point. And no matter how many deck chairs you throw off, you can't get the ship wide enough to to stay afloat. Uh, Hala is is it's time to holla at you. It's going away. Um, but calling uh, for a life raft right now. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure they they need to get double taps so they don't pull a zombie on us. Um, all right, and the last stop for you gamers out there, World of Warcraft is no longer going to be about war. What? <gasps> what? Um, yeah, no. Uh, is peace breaking out in WoW? That was my clickbait attempt at an article title, and this is from Polygon. Uh, just days before BlizzCon started, um, the news from them is pretty bad. Um, and it seems to be looking more and more grim. The developer revealed that the game was down to 5.5 million subscribers, its lowest number since 2005. It was launched in 2004, and it's also no longer going to be sharing subscription numbers at all. So, you know, WoW has had... <laughs> it has, it's endured 10 years. You know, EverQuest, which was the big one before this, they were in and out. I mean... There might still be EverQuest, but it exists in the same way MySpace still exists. If it does, WoW has been that Facebook top line status for over a decade. And, um, you know, it might be going down. It's yeah. still, it's impressive that it's held on this long to tell you yeah. the truth. Well, it's, it's what it's reached that point now where a newbie doesn't stand a chance because all the regular players are all level 73,000, whatever. And there's there, you can't stand. And that's one of, the, one of the articles says here. One of the solutions is that they've, uh, that they're pursuing is making World of Craft more easily accessible, uh, to people, not just in terms of can you run it on more stuff, but, uh, can you start out with a character that can actually do something? 
Yeah. Um, yeah, an instant power up hill or something that yeah. you you don't have to take because you can like play the different characters and see which one you like before you take it. But even if you power up to somebody's level, they've had 10 years to equip themselves with all kinds of items that you don't. And if the noob can get the exact same items you quested your the last decade of your life for, then why do you want to play it anymore? Right. So, so it's 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 good for the noob, it's bad for the long time player, uh, but um at the same time, if if there's going to be noobs, you have to give them the ability to to catch up. If you want World of Warcraft to only be the guys who've been playing for ten years, well Warcraft is gonna die. Because right. eventually those guys get married and have kids and can't play anymore. Which is a sad day. <laughs> they move out of their mom's basement and they get a real job and they put a tie on and they can't play Warcraft anymore. You know, and that's that's the main problem with any of these type of games that have, you know, special gear that that have long lives like like WoW does. You know, cuz I I know friends that have been playing since the beginning. And you see their characters and they said this is the one I started with, this is the one I, you know, that I created a couple of years later and then this is the one that I started just recently. And there's sweeping difference between the oldest character on the list versus their newest character on the list when it comes to their gear. Um, yep. So, it's yeah. So, just- like, I, I don't, I don't know how these things work. So, I'm totally talking out of my head here. Um, let's say that you, you're, you could be ranked from zero to a hundred. Don't give people the ability to buy up to a hundred, but give them the ability to buy up to sixty, so they can at least be competitive, so that two sixties can compete with a hundred. You know, well, and then they do. have to work their way up from there. Well, they do. They have they have the level off the uh, level booster that because like right, right now, I think everyone's when you start a new character, I think you start I think you start at sixty ish, um, but that defeats the purpose for the guys that have been playing through sixty and plus. Um, it's been a long time since I even looked at the WoW, you know, startup because I I never got into WoW. It was one of those things I didn't want a second job because that's what wow looks like to me it looks like another job um it it really is i went to um a college or a trade school with somebody who was an alpha tester that's how long he had been playing wow and um i mean yeah it i mean it's basically D D on a computer and if you've ever played D D. I mean, that's a job taking care of your character and all of that kind of stuff. And it's the exact same. There's, it's super in there and it is just, it's hard work, but I don't know. Couldn't they have a beginner's area and then a free for all area segregated that way or something? Well, I'm you know, sure. uh, I, the only game I have played, the only MMORPG that I ever played was, uh, the, uh, Halo online thing. Right. And there was no place for me. I would yep. spawn, I would die. I would spawn, I would die. I would spawn, I would die. And the only way it was any fun was for me to do my own matches between my friends. Uh, but that gets pretty old because you're playing the same eight guys. So it's it's the same problem anywhere. You get too good at it. You're so good at it that you've sucked all the fun of it, both for you and for them. It's no fun killing noobs, uh, just like it's no fun being killed every time you, know, you start up. So you've, I think maybe you just got to let it die. Because you've you know you're ten years old. Congratulations. Move on to another game, or find a way to segregate it, like Seth was saying, where you could graduate from the kiddie pool to an adult pool. Because that would be, 
another way to do it. But in doing that, you then triple or du at least double the amount of servers you need in order to run this game that is now losing members. Yep. So I don't think that's going to happen either. Yeah, but the cost of a server compared to what it was when they started 10 years ago is way less than half. Yeah. So, you know, anyway, we'll see what happens with uh, with this game that uh, I've never played. <laughs> It'd be interesting. I'll, I'll have to ask my friends who are still playing WoW if, if they still play religiously or if they just come on for the holiday because they, they do special holiday things where they do, you know, a, a Halloween events. That type of thing, where they just right. they just log in long enough to do the events. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's when you're off of work and you've got some time and you can go back to your old stomping grounds. Yeah, um, Mario Kart for the win. <laughs> Never actually played Mario Kart, but I hear it was good. <laughs> uh, Mario Kart was the best. Uh, I think one of my favorite games still is uh, Street Fighter, Super Street Fighter. Um, just Super. it's just not there. It doesn't get better. Yes, it gets more graphical. But in terms of gameplay and camaraderie, it just doesn't get better than Street Fighter. Street Fighter yeah. was a great game. It still is. Yeah. Technically, it still is. Yeah. There's still Street Fighter. Street Fighter yeah. 2. So other than, yes, yeah, Super, Super Street Fighter 2, that was the game with uh, Blanca and Chun-Li and uh, uh, Dalsim and all those guys. Um, Were there playable characters other than Chun-Li? I don't remember. <laughs> Yes. Yes, Lightning there were. kick for yes. the win, huh, Seth? Seth was yep. the one-button press king of the world, and it's so frustrating to fight a guy who's not doing anything but pushing a single button and get your butt kicked over and over again, or at least I've heard. <laughs> I would jump as well. So. <laughs> Corner press the lightning kick. I, I know the exact yep, type of person yeah. you are. <laughs> You know, and then I'm guile, high kick, low kick, sweep. You know, there, there's these combinations that after a while you could you could be reciting pi to the thousands digit, and your fingers would just know what to do. Yep. And games today, kids today are playing games that are so complicated. There's 26 buttons on the controller, and uh, you know you you need you need a 104 key keyboard to keep up. Um, but you know that I'm an old guy. Seth, tell us about something that really old guys could remember back before even I was born. What happened this week in computer history? Okay, well, a month ago we told you about the first message that was translated over the ARPANET. So this week in history, November the twenty first, nineteen sixty nine, the first permanent, not the first connection, but the first permanent ARPA Link net was established between UCLA and the Stanford Research Institute. So that happened this week in history, all the way back in 1969. Yeah. Um, and so let's see. The, these, I, my geography sucks. How far away is Stanford from UCLA? Uh, I don't know. Okay, if only gonna, there were some repository of information we could yeah, look that I'm going to have to do that really quickly. Uh, <laughs> Google Maps, Stanford University, because I know UCLA is obviously in LA. Um, so let me move back. I seriously, I am such a troglodyte. I don't even know what, what state Stanford university is. No, I think California. I do know that. <laughs> so, so these two universities, uh, relatively, uh, uh, close together by internet standards could now talk to each other anytime they wanted over the two machines that were connected. Um, and that was, that was a big deal in 1969. Yep. Uh, Damn it, it went, you know, too far out. 
everything starts somewhere, right? And this is where ARPANET became internet. And, you know, thanks to Al Gore, we all have it. Um, There's a Stanford, California. <laughs> I just learned that today. <laughs> I did not know. I did not know it was actually the name. That was the name of the city. So I, I learned something today. Um, <laughs> we were, well, then. we are so dumb. <laughs> It's just amazing how little we actually know. Um, all right. Uh, enough about that. And I just accidentally refreshed the page. So I'm not sure where we are. Yeah, Seth, uh, tell us your show closing spectacular. Okay. Well, uh, first of all, I want to let you know it's approximately 350 miles between the two. Okay, so, but go. my show closing spectacular, I came across this video and I've watched it a few times just because it is freaking awesome. It really it is. is. It was. It yeah. is Batman versus Darth Vader. Um, but it's the and, alternative ending. It's not the original. Yeah. It's the one I saw first, though. I didn't know this was the alternative ending because the link I saw w- was, uh, from a different one where they copied it but um this is from bat in the sun's youtube channel and they do these uh superpower beatdowns where they take like there's a superman versus thor there's a darth vader versus gandalf there's master chief versus captain america wolverine versus predator to name a few um and this was batman versus darth vader and i just thought it was really cool um the production quality was really good. It's about eight minutes long. Yeah. Seth uh, sent it to us last night and said, you have to watch this before the show because it's it's too long to watch. You know, that's that's one of the joys of this part of the show is Seth says something and then we get our live reaction. Um, and at first I'm watching, I'm like, all right, this is clearly cheesy CGI. But then the production quality, I mean, it's it's really good for a YouTube web video. Yeah, series. I was impressed. Um, that was the very first and, thing I noticed. I was like, oh my goodness, they spent some money on this thing. Yeah, and, and the... It's believable. As ridiculous as Batman versus Darth Vader is, they actually weave it in such a way that it's believable. Yep. Yeah, there, there's a backstory because if the two were to meet face-to-face for the first time, Darth Vader would obviously kill him, no problem. But Batman has, you know, he, he does what he's a detective, so he detects stuff, and he sets up a plan to go and take the fight to Darth Vader and does it in a very believable way. So. Yeah, I was impressed. There's a fun line in there. I'll take my science over your magic any day. That's a very Batman-esque kind of line. and It's reminiscent of Han Solo. And there's all kinds of throwaway lines there that are homages to other bits of of pop culture. Um, And and lines like the the, the I'm Batman. You know that's going to come in there somewhere at some point. You can't have a Batman video without somebody saying, I'm Batman. Uh, And the way they deliver it is totally satisfying. Yes, it is. Real, yes. And so it's just really cool. You, you should watch it and, you know, maybe maybe watch them all. I don't know. I haven't watched all of these, but I've watched several. And, again, the the ones I've seen, they're like, wow, this is actually kind of cool. So uh, pretty neat I want to see there. Batman versus Master Chief. That would be a good battle. That would be it, was, it was Captain America versus Master Chief. Right. But I'm saying I want to see Batman versus Master Chief. Um the the super Spartan, but all he's got is a gun and his fists against Batman, who's you know sort of the ultimate trickster. Um, right, that would be an interesting battle. It would be. Um, I think Batman would probably win though. After seeing, uh, there was another YouTube video that I was linked to about um, the the major flaw in the Spartan armor, which is why. If you go up and melee somebody who's wearing the Spartan armor, why they drop over dead with a melee hit? 
Okay. I was you know, I'll have to find it and I'll link it to you guys, but it's it's basically the weight of the helmet alone with the front with the, the movement would snap the neck. So that's why a melee hit will kill a, someone in a Spartan outfit. And Darth it's, Vader it's versus Doctor Doom. I'm gonna have to watch this. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, that's that's it. That's the uh, the show closing spectacular. So I guess that means the show is closed. But first, let me tell how you how you can feed back to us, how you can comment, how you can let us know what you're thinking. Go to elementop.com, click the contact us button at the top of the page. That sends uh, gives you a nice form that you fill out. That sends a nicely formatted email that gets priority in my inbox. So if you really want to contact us, that is the best way to do it. Go to elementop.com, click the contact us button at the top of the page. Or if you're a rebel and you want to fire up mutt and send your own email. Email. You can do that Ooh. to send an email to edl at elementop.com. That goes to all three of us, lest you think I am censoring email to the guys. I do, by the way. Um, <gasps> but you can make sure that they all see it that way. Or if you would like your dulcet tones to appear right here on the recording, you can call 559-IAM-OP and leave us a voicemail on our Google Voice Box, and we will play it on the air most likely. Can't guarantee it. If you're vulgar, if you're rude, if you're just plain stupid, I'm probably not going to. But uh, otherwise, there's a good chance you'll get on. Thank you for being a listener. Seriously, thanks. As I said at the beginning, uh, for those of you who are Patreon supporters, for those of you who are PayPal uh, uh, donators, for those of you who use uh, elementopi.com slash Amazon for your shopping, you guys um, help more than you know. Uh, they're the bills, you know, uh, as as cheap as hosting is and things like that, the, the bills do add up. Uh, and uh, you guys are paying the bills. You're making this so that I can do this without any significant overhead on my part, which is my family thanks you for that, and I thank you. And uh, I'm actually, you know, over the last couple of years, I've been able to kick these guys some cash every month. Um, which is kind of a big deal. Uh, they put a yep. lot of work into this show, uh, and I, you know I'm not paying them much, but I'm paying them something. And and if you you know if you directly contribute to the show, it doesn't all it, it doesn't just go to me, right? So I pay these guys. Uh, every time we have a guest on the show, I kick them a little something, either a donation in their name or a gift card or whatever they choose, uh, because they took their time out of their uh, their uh, busy day to be on the the show. Um, when uh, when we you know, need new gear, it goes to that, and 10% of it goes right back into an open source project. So donating to the show is more than just supporting a podcast, uh, It's, but it is that too. So we appreciate it in this time of Thanksgiving. I want to thank you for what you do. Uh, the best way that you could help us, the most uh, powerful way, your money is good, but your recommendations are better. Uh, as we as we grow the audience, grow the numbers, tell people, people about it. If you like it, uh, whatever, however you download it, uh, go and leave us a review on that uh, mechanism of choice, whether it be Stitcher or FM Radio or, or FM, what it last at FM or, or whatever. Uh, but seriously, most of the world looks at iTunes, and I know this audience hates iTunes. Bite the bullet instead of sending me five bucks. Go through the hell of load, loading up iTunes and leaving me a review. If if you'd rather just send me five bucks, you can do that too. I should now get thousands of dollars rolling in for people who don't want to touch iTunes. <laughs> That would be interesting if we actually did get thousands of dollars in because people didn't want to do iTunes. Yeah. So, uh, but about Patreon, P A T R E O N dot com. Uh, search for Element Opie. I would really, it would mean a lot to me personally if you would go pledge a penny. Right? It's not about the money. 
It's about seeing the supporters. I know that we have an audience of not hundreds, but thousands. Uh, and we, we haven't even hit hundreds. Uh, we haven't even hit dozens on our uh, Patreon supporters. Um, and I just, again, it's not about the money. It's about the show of support. I would love to be able to fire up that thing and see 3,000 supporters, all of which are pledging a penny. I'm totally fine with that. You don't have to actually put much money into it, but just put your name out there and say, I am supporting you, and, and let me show it that uh, that uh, show of solidarity. That would be awesome. So that would be my Christmas gift. If you're looking, what can I get, Mark? You can go to uh, patreon.com and search for Elementopi or go to elementopi.com slash Patreon uh, or click the link on any of our show notes and just sign up. Put your name there. Make up a name if you have to, uh, but uh, just just say, I stand with Mark. I would appreciate that. There you go. Now, that was way more than I intended to say, so I'm going to just say see you next week because that ends this episode of Everyday Linux. Everyday Linux.